Welcome, everybody, to the Metabilis 2 podcast. It's 35th iteration with myself, Ben. And David. And this week, following on from last week's discussion about man companions of the Doctor, this week we are going to be talking about Woman companions yeah. of the Doctor. The ladies. The, the ladies, ladies of Doctor Who. Ladies. The ladies of Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> because, of course... For all we know, by this time next year, the Doctor himself may be a lady. So, yeah. Could be. Mm, could be. Could be. Up to Chibnall and the BBC. Up to the Chib and the Beeb. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think we I think so we were going to start from the very beginning. So I guess that means Susan, who I think we would have to say is the first companion, and then Barbara. Yeah, I've I've always wondered if Susan is a true companion, do we consider family to be companions? I think we'd have to know more about the actual biological arrangements of Time Lords. And I don't think we're <laughs> ever going to know that. Didn't Mark Platt do that in Lung Barrel? Yeah, well, there's the whole loom malarkey, mm-hmm. um, and, um, which I f- still don't fully understand, to be honest, even having read Lung Barrel, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, and it's the Doctor's granddaughter. Yeah. Or... More accurately speaking, he is her grandfather. Right. Is it ever fully stated that she is his granddaughter? I would have to go. <laughs> I would have to go back and look at scripts, but I so, think so, it so is understood. I. <laughs> I think it's, it's implicit with he being her grandfather that she is his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Though I'm wondering whether that is actually explicit, and I'm sure it is, in fact. But anyway, um, well, he's a lot more her grandfather than she mm-hmm. is his granddaughter. If you see what I mean. Yeah, early notes for the program had Susan character as being a, an alien princess that the doctor had rescued. Yeah, well, yeah. that's so, yeah, that's also possible. Alien princess, shades mm-hmm. of um, shades of Star Wars. There, of course, oh, some sorts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but they didn't go with Buck that Rogers. because they thought it'd be a little bit strange to have this uh, elderly man be traveling with this girl with his, <laughs> with his young ward. Yes. <laughs> Too many uh, questions, even for Doctor Who. Exactly. And I think we're probably going to be returning to this quite regularly over the next hour. Starts out well, um, well-defined. And just, <laughs> and again, you know, I think if you don't keep a good hold on your writers, they right. forget how to write people correctly. Mm-hmm. And actors get bored and discover that they're just there to have the Doctor explain things to them and run around and get captured and scream. Right. And then they decide to leave. And that is mm-hmm. really, I think, kind of Susan Foreman's trajectory. Yeah, Caroline Ford got tired of basically playing the same character week in, week out. Yeah. And not much character development in for Susan. Didn't really get to be an alien mm-hmm. princess, um, yeah. sadly. Her most interesting things were like with the first episode or first couple episodes of the Sensorites with the telepathy. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. And, of course, the Unearthly Child episode, she was front and center, but... She's the original peril princess. Yep, <laughs> peril yep. princess. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know. I think I think we as again. I think we've, we've said before on these podcasts. You know, you really are at the at the mercy of the people who write the show, and the people mm-hmm. who write the show are middle aged men who, in nineteen sixties, would have been born. You know, in the nineteen twenties, right. even earlier, they're going to have a hard time writing strong female characters. Hmm. It's going to be tough okay. for them. I think. Yeah, it would be a stretch. And th- again, the focus was on Ian and to uh, uh, another extent, Barbara. Yeah. 
who, and I think they are a lot more successful, um, mm-hmm. I feel. I think the dynamic between Ian and Barbara is always delightful. Mm-hmm. And Barbara's super awesome. She holds her own throughout the series. And I, I wonder... She really does, yeah. I wonder if the writers had, it wasn't so much a trouble writing for a female character, but writing for a child. Writing young for female a young character. female yeah, character. Yeah, I think one of the things perhaps we forget nowadays, like the primacy of the young and the teenager and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Again, that, that, that's, uh, 1963 is pretty early days. Right. When, uh, certainly for the BBC, in like, young people being, you know, people who have agency mm-hmm. and are, you know, are characters in their own right. So yeah, no, that could that could have a lot to do with Because Barbara mm-hmm. does really well. And, you know, she, she kind of holds her own as a history teacher. A lot, I think she holds her own as a history teacher a lot more effectively than Ian holds his own as a math teacher. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, science, wasn't he? So, science? Sorry, I'm science. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of... Um, uh, of Mordred Undead and how originally oh. it was going to be um, it was going to be um, it was going to be Ian um, uh. but then it ended up being the Brigadier <laughs> and Maths oh uh, yes yeah if only oh missed opportunity that was <laughs> anyway yeah she does a lot better as a history teacher mm-hmm. than, than Ian does as a science teacher to be honest yeah she had some really good episodes with yep. the uh, Edge of Destruction I think she was very strong in and of course yep. Aztecs, Aztecs is her tour yep. de force but I think every episode she has had a really good outing, except in uh, Planet of Giants, where she <laughs> dips her hands or uh, gets in the pesticide or insecticide right, and right. Doesn't, doesn't think to tell anyone and nearly cost her her life. That's true. But then again, I think the plot there outweighed her character. Mm-hmm. Someone has to be in peril, seriously, and obviously it's going to have to be Barbara. Yeah, usually it wasn't Susan because the Susan was always paired up with her grandfather, the doctor. Absolutely. And the doctor was kept out of the action, just keeping his granddaughter safe. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so we like Barbara. Barbara's a good companion. I mean, she's more of Ian's companion, to be honest. Hmm. I'd have said, uh, you know, I think as we noted last week, the wife in space feels it should have been called the Ian and Barbara show mm. or just Ian exclamation mark. Right. Uh. <laughs> well, that whole first cast, that foursome, really different different type of casting. The Doctor character, Doctor Who, wasn't the lead. It was Ian Chesterton and Barbara yep. Wright. Yep. Uh, I think Susan Foreman was the MacGuffin and Doctor Who was the mystery. Very smart. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. So the focus was on the two characters that we could relate to the most as watchers at the time, which would yep. have been Ian and Barbara, which they were contemporary with yeah. England at the time. And of course, it's interesting, you know, I mean, going back to what we just said five minutes ago, I mean, nowadays, you, one would expect, and as, as, as I think has been proven by the current show, one expects that it's the younger female character that's the audience identification mm-hmm. A character, um, which would have been Susan in this case, but right. um, and you might expect that you know this show was ostensibly for children, but mm-hmm. no, it was the teachers of children that children were supposed to be kind of following and identifying, which right. again I think really shows us the kind of people who are writing, producing these shows. You know, mm-hmm. the the people that you should be looking up to and paying attention to are your teachers, mm-hmm. not your fellow yeah. students. Yeah, so, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting contrast with Bill who works at a school also or a university but in the kitchens as a dinner lady yeah yeah, yeah. so one assumes well, yeah. based off the based on <laughs> based the, off the trailer and the chips comment right yeah <laughs> i mean it could be a moffat fake out but it sounds likely mm. right now mm-hmm. yeah there's this connection that we have with a contemporary character back in a school setting so it, it, it's something that doctor who writers seem to return to quite a bit yeah and i think hasn't the kind of verbiage around this new series been that it's 
like a reboot of some kind. Well, they're calling episode one the pilot. The pilot, yeah. I think we, we, we covered this last week, didn't we? No, I, well, no. Or did we? Or maybe I covered it with somebody else. I don't talk to anyone else about Doctor Who, so it must have been with you, Dave. Um, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I I'll have to remember. go back and listen to her. We'll episode to, 34. Yeah, exactly. So moving swiftly on, Barbara's awesome, so's Ian, and actually I kind of like Susan as well. I really like Vicky, though, a lot. Uh, Maureen O'Brien gives a really gutsy, full of beans sort of performance as Vicky, I think. And um, I've got a big soft spot for her. I think the reason why she's so appealing is she lets Hartnell uh, be the doctor more than the protective grandfather type character, the role that he had to play with Susan. If we look at the rescue, the doctor has a big action scene in there where he confronts the story's nemesis coinciding with Vicky's arrival and Susan's departure that we see a real change in the doctor's character mm-hmm. and I think the positiveness is associated with Vicky and of course Marina Bryan does an excellent job as Vicky but it's it's partially the writing I think the writers were able to let go of the type of character that they're having yeah. the doctor portray and you know Vicky is more on her own yeah, and I think, you know, as we're, we're obviously confused and nonplussed by the granddaughter-grandfather relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're confused, then I'm sure the writers must have been confused as well. And I think, as you said, they're, they're, they're kind of released from that necessity to, like, mm-hmm. uh, hang on, she's his granddaughter, eh? How does that work? Right. How should they be relating to each other? as like Because mm-hmm. it's a family relationship, and she's freed up to be, well, both he and her are freed up to be, mm-hmm. I'm a teenage astronaut girl of some kind, mm-hmm. and I'm a mysterious, heroic alien from the future. Yeah, so when you're watching when Vicky is introduced to the cast, do you see any difference in what role Jacqueline Hill uh, has as Barbara Wright does the B- Barbara character change much as she become more she's almost becomes a surrogate mother in some ways I think she becomes Vicky. more motherly certainly I mean it's relatively late in the game though isn't it with um how many episodes do they have together she has a really strong run of stories if you look at it it's from she the does. rescue all the way through the myth makers and she has the web planet too web planet of course <laughs> that's why I like Vicky so much because she's in the web planet <laughs> The Web Planet is one well, of she, my top top ten of all time. The story, a lot of her stories actually survive, so we're able yeah. to f- form a pretty good opinion exactly. of and the only, Marina O'Brien's portrayal. I mean, the only kind of clunker in there is the Space Museum, but mm. she has a really strong role in it. Yes, kind of leading um, leading the revolution. Mm-hmm. She's actually the most the kind of funnest part. Well, actually, actually, the Space Museum's kind of good, but anyway. I don't know. There's some other clunkers in there. I, I'm not a big fan of the chase at all. Oh, I like the chase. I think the chase is cool. <laughs> it's great. I like uh, it. All right. Uh, so that's Vicky. Um, so we've had three female companions leave so far. We've had Susan yep. and we've had Vicky right. and Barbara. But uh, Susan and Vicky get married off and Barbara leaves on her own accord with Ian. And it's always been... My assumption that yeah. they remained a couple throughout time, and I think so. With, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Sarah Jane Smith adventures. They mentioned that there's a couple. Barbara and Ian are still a couple. So I yeah. think in auxiliary canon, yeah, they remain a couple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a sh- I, obviously it's a shame, but I, it's a it's a shame in every way. But I think it's a shame in in terms of the show that that Jacqueline Hill left us so relatively early. It would mm-hmm. have been because I mean, you know, obviously William Russell is still. 
knocking him out at 90 or whatever he is uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, again it's a great great shame that Jacqueline Hill isn't around because they were they, they were such a great mm-hmm. couple um, and it's interesting I mean you know and they have I mean they marry well I mean um, uh, 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 I mean, I'm talking about Susan I mean Susan married you know cops off with a freedom fighter so that's mm-hmm. amazing and great and cool and Vicky becomes like a queen of Greece of some kind we understand right they're not kind of marry you know I, I, I'm always you know the kind of most horrific marriage in the Doctor Who canon is poor old Leela who has mm, to end No, up with... don't you think it's uh, Perry? Well, I'm I'm more of the <laughs> uh, Yeah, I I almost don't think that's canon, I'm afraid. Mm. I, it's so horrible that it's like this can't be happening. <laughs> it must be a dream sequence or something. It's 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 something to do with the Matrix. It's it's yeah. it's not real. It's a show retconning itself. Exactly. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So Dodo, Dodo Chaplet. Mm. Mm, very little to say there. Very little, <laughs> li- very little material survives of Dodo, but not much, not much, not much to work with. And she is, I think, a casualty of changing producers and changing scriptwriters, yep. and not a firm lock on how that character should be portrayed. Yeah, not not even a very firm lock on her accent, which kind of wanders all over the place, right? In terms of where she's from in Britain. <laughs> But, you know, I think you're right. But I think it's interesting, though, you know, she does have accents Mm -hmm. and which kind of locates her as being, you know, maybe not as middle class as some of the other companions, maybe more kind of working class, which is, you know, a sign of the swinging 60s effect on the show. Yeah. Isn't Jackie Lane's um, from Manchester originally? So her original accent that they were going to do with her was a Mancunian. It would be Mancunian accent. Yeah. 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 And then they switched her over to Cockney, and then it, it did. just <laughs> cool, blimey, governor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, which which obviously oh, she's an actress; she can do whatever accent she wants. But mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you you kind of you kind of have to pick one and stick to it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's you know, it was the te- it was a kind of a not very successful attempt to do a working class character for the first time. And she only lasted what the arc: celestial toy makers, gunfighters, savages, and the war machines, and not even the full. Story of the war whack on the war machine. She just kind of wanders off, doesn't she? What did you think of her in the gunfighters? Um, I'm not a great fan of the gunfighters, so I've only mm. watched it, I think, probably once, <laughs> <laughs> and, and not really again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, I mean, I think the gunfighters again. You know, I mean, in my own personal canon, it's pantomime that they're doing that isn't actually, you know, entirely that may not actually be real. <laughs> it's kind of land of fiction stuff uh, i think okay. quite possibly that's my own personal kind of <laughs> aspect you've uh, escorted that off into the side room <laughs> yeah i kind of have yeah it's entirely possible that it may be taking place in the land of fiction mm. um what do you think you you you, you asked the question mm. well mm. i think it's her strongest story of her five tenure. that she does yeah right <laughs> if there was a <laughs> If there was a special edition, I wish they would find a way of removing the song, and maybe I could focus in on the story just a little bit. It is hard. But the narrative aspect of that song, it just, I am, I I don't know if I'm in the minority or the majority of fandom, but I have a hard time getting beyond the song to appreciate the gunfighters. And I know there's a very, very strong contingence of fandom that really, really, likes the gunfighters and it's almost a, it's an almost an overreaction overcorrection i think it is an overcorrection to be honest you know if you're the pull kind of pull mars end of the um end of the spectrum like you won't I'm, i don't actually know whether paul mars likes <laughs> i suspect that he loves it um 
I can't get by. It's not really a Western. It's what it is. It's like it's a 1950s American TV Western. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a lot nearer to The Chase mm-hmm. in terms of dramatic place that it's located than it is, I don't know, like what the 1880s really were in the mm-hmm. in the west of the united states i mean it's like i mean it irritates me like you know like the vikings irritate me in <laughs> in in whatever the one with vikings is oh i can't remember now you know are the, you talking the classic series or the, no the the new series um oh the girl who died the girl who died exactly yeah yeah where they're like those aren't actually you know ah anyway yeah so <laughs> it's funny that that bothers you more than with the time meddler because they both have the horned helms and yeah a time meddler i mean the, the, uh, i uh, they have a filmed insert yes where they are is, wearing horned helmets that's <laughs> right, true and, and of course the doctor and steven do find the space helmet for a cow <laughs> I, again i mean i personally retcon that into that it actually is a space helmet for a cow um and it's a some time ca- meddler and some cow aliens have landed um <laughs> and there's another story taking place also in in northumbria at that similar moment involving space cows yeah, that's uh, that's my own personal retcon yeah, that, that that's dr mysterio the next <laughs> next door down <laughs> exactly <laughs> Would they be fighting the Moo Vellans? The Moo Vellans, exactly. The whole thing is cow themed. Um, okay, we're, we're never going to do this in an hour at this rate. Um, as far as I can remember, the the missing adventures have Dodo Chaplet actually ending up being like kidnapped by some like Marquis de Sade planet or something, and okay. ending up dying of like kind of a horrible way. So that's a one reason to avoid that book. Is there any wonder why Jackie Lane doesn't, doesn't really doesn't do much with fandom? Very much. Yeah, I think she's the I think she's the rarest one. I think if you're collecting autographs, if you've got a if you've got a Jackie Lane, um, well, I guess for alive people, she's the rarest the rarest one of all. Yeah, she does not deal with fandom no. very much. Yeah, at all. she's not even an actress anymore, is she? Well, uh, no, but she would well, be retired. None if of them she are. Was, so, probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, which is funny because actually a lot of people um, <laughs> actually really enjoy conventions when they actually well, she, come to them. I think I've read a lot of interviews with people, folks who actually kind of really enjoyed them. Yeah, she went on to become a theatrical agent. Uh, I think she represented Tom Baker and uh, Janet Fielding. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and didn't didn't um, Janet Fielding become a, a theatrical agent as well, right? Uh, yes, she did. Yeah, no, uh, yes, she yeah, she is, and uh, so did Wendy Padbury. Yeah, a space theatrical agent <laughs> <laughs> in space. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so Jackie Lane, uh, Jackie, please come back to us. I know you're a big fan of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll interview you on a on a future <laughs> future edition. <laughs> the Jackie Lane interview. Okay, Polly, Annika Wills. Yep. She's the next one. Um, Polly, she's great. I like Polly as well. I, no, do I like Polly? Yes, I do like Polly. I do like Polly. I think she's fantastic as a yeah, companion. Yeah, she's, she's good. She's the first, first really... Uh, modern woman. Modern well, get... type companion. Yeah. As we would call a companion now, I think... Well, that's not true. I think Vicky probably was the first real type companion, but even then she was more following on in the footsteps of... Caroline Ford, Susan's portrayal. Right. And so I think really Annika Wills and Polly sets the contemporary young woman from Britain traveling companion that we're having now in the revived show. Right. And I think she sets the mold in place, creates the paradigm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely right. 
because she's you know she's attractive she's young she's modern she's willing to muck in and help fight monsters but right. she's also willing to go and make a cup of tea if that's also necessary um which it is also necessary from time to time um <laughs> yeah so she's yeah she's she's everything you want and she's and she's a great sport as well i mean annika wills is still involved with mm-hmm. the show and conventions and and you know acting and writing things and mm-hmm. she's obviously super eccentric as well which we mm-hmm. all like in who because we're all basically slightly super eccentric <laughs> um she was married to michael goff which again makes her cool because he was cool yeah but that was a very very trying marriage from what i've read i, I think it was but then again you know it, mike michael goff was cool so that's that's <laughs> also good um, I think does she live in France or something? She lives somewhere. Interesting. She lived in Canada for a while. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. I believe okay. on the west coast near oh, okay. Vancouver. But all right, okay. So she's then... back in England now. Right, right, right. Yeah, Polly. Like her a lot. Dolly Bird. Polly the Dolly. Um, she doesn't have a second name, does she? That's one of her things. That is true. Uh, the novelizations have have her as Polly Wright, but I think right. she's not. I think again. Like 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 Twiggy or Lulu or other girls from the sixties. She doesn't have a second name, <laughs> which is perfect for her. Which which is perfect because she's from the sixties. I, I wonder about the choice of right. Why they decided to choose the same familiar name as uh, Barbara? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's confusing. And well, it's like the confusion that we have about what the hell um, Ace's second name is. You know, is she mm-hmm. like? Is she really called Dorothy? Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, et cetera, well, I think, et cetera. yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. I think her first name is Dorothy, but uh, right. beyond that, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> um, okay, next one, next girl companion, woman companion, lady companion is Victoria Waterfield. Yes. I believe she does have a second mm-hmm. name, and her na- second name is Waterfield. <sighs> I like Victoria, but in many ways, she's a step backwards in characterization from Polly. What I always feel about Victoria is whenever I see her or hear her or like read something that she's in, and this is no intended slight on the actress or her performance, um, Deborah Watling, I'm just kind of waiting for Zoe to turn up, to be honest. It's like, ah, it's a Troughton. Um, ah, it's Victoria. Uh, when 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 is Zoe going to be on? Mm. So um, I was. I think she's kind of an interstitial. She's a throwback. You're you're right. She's a throwback to an early character. I don't think they really wrote her that strongly as a Victorian. Mm-hmm. Well, she's a throwback to an earlier character that we never really had. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. we've never. We've. Ne- I mean, Victoria's main uh, knock on her is she's the screamer. Right. And right. she's always always afraid, and that's how her character was written. Yeah, um, and that's how she leaves the show if in fury, right? That right. She's had enough. It's sort of a, a you know what Tegan would happen later on. Right. Right. So right. With her characterization, I think she has a lot of charm when she's not put in the peril situation. So, just like this kind of the scenes that we saw early on in uh enemy of the world where where the TARDIS material is on the beach and the doctor asks them to bring buckets and spades and she's right. like keys on that oh he wants us to make sandcastle so she's she's i think she's a really good counter and i think the writers were trying to develop a relationship between her and jamie right you know, ben and polly kind of come in as a couple yeah but from the nightclub 
Right, but Jamie and Victoria are kind of introduced, so it's the first companion pairing where inadvertently or not the Doctor's being matchmaker. Right, and right. And I think there's some genuine feelings that go on between her and Jamie, especially with the departure, that there's a path, there's a there's a trajectory of uh, Victoria's life that she is abandoning by... Obviously, Jamie isn't ready to settle down at all. Right. But Victoria's had enough, and the program in Episode 6 of Fury takes a moment to breathe to allow Victoria time to reflect, time to consider. And so there's a lot, I think, that really does with her character. So I think Victoria's character is more sophisticated than just someone who screams. But right. The screaming overshadows that, or her fear overshadows that. But I think Deborah Watling really does a lot with the material that she has to work with, mm-hmm. although there isn't much to do with it. There's not much for that character to develop, and it's, it's essentially a one-season one arc. She comes in at the end of season four and leaves right. at the end of season five. Yeah, and yeah. She's an orphan. Her her mother had was already dead at the beginning of Evil of the Daleks, and her father was killed by the Daleks and during the Evil of the Daleks, and she's left basically with random, random, random people that they encounter. Yeah. In the Fury, Fury from, from the, the deep. deep. Yeah. 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 Random. Random. Mm-hmm. Random. Kind of British. British couple. Which. The Harrises. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a shame that we you know that we don't have the visuals of course for Fury of the Deep, so we get a greater insight to like exactly how that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the whole Victorianness isn't really brought out, and even if you discount that, as as you've so eloquently described, the kind <laughs> of arc of the character really doesn't really doesn't really isn't really kind of. There isn't much to out. go. Right. Isn't fleshed out either, you know, that she's an orphan and maybe she wants to be in a relationship with Jamie, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I love Wendy Padbury and I love Zoe, so it's like, ah, I wish Zoe was here right now. And and luckily, um, she does turn up. And I think she's a super character, Zoe. And I think they do a really good job with her being from the future. And I think I think they do weave in her mathematical abilities quite effectively mm-hmm. and um the chemistry between the three uh principles is so obviously you know, palpably very very good and i think that mm-hmm. always helps to make something make something work and you do mm-hmm. get the impression that even though you know traveling with the doctor is stressful in many ways right. it's also incredibly enjoyable and and <laughs> there is a sense of fun in those seasons that i really mm-hmm. enjoy that you, you think- know, wendy padbury really brings to the character Mm-hmm. Do you think it benefits that the majority of Wendy Padbury's Zoe Harriet's portrayals are still extant? That is helpful, I think. Yes, but you know, there you go. You only, yeah. I mean, you can only judge the character on on what's mm-hmm. available. So, right. and yes, so yeah. It, it, of course, it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, because for for me, I've I spend a lot of time listening to season five on audio. <laughs> right. And so I I've grown to really appreciate the characterization of victoria okay i feel the stories aside from the ice warriors are fairly strong stories while in season six we have the dominators and the crotons which are not not top-notch trouton stories but our principles give top-notch performances so you know yes, the villains 
The villains and the plots are weak, but uh, it's just a pleasure watching those watching those three people act together. You know, it's 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 and you and you do get this sense of uh, the universe is a fun and interesting place to be. So Wendy Padbury certainly does have a screen presence, some charisma. Padders. She yeah. does have a strong charisma, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you get the sense that even though Troughton is tiring of the role, and, the, and it becomes obvious, I think, towards the end of season right. six. Right. For Wendy Padbury, I think she probably would have kept on, and I'm. It would have been. Granted, the story storyline worked very well with the Exile of the Earth with a clean break, but yeah. it would have been interesting to see. I think. Zoe Harriet on Stranded on Earth with a John Pertwee type doctor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, and again, uh, I mean, they do replace her with a with another, you know, ostensive scientific genius of some kind with Liz Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously, Liz is is a is a is a is obviously a, an older woman than kind of Zoe is. is you know, Zoe is very kind of boyish mm-hmm. and childish in many ways. Which, of course, Liz isn't. Um, right. He, uh, Derek Sherwin was script editor then. Oh, okay. And became producer. And so I could see why he would cast a similar type character. Right. With, no, with Liz. Sense. Yeah. And so sense. he probably worked with David Whitaker and Kit Pedler to develop the storyline of Wheel in Space and the type of character that they wanted in Zoe Harriet. And yeah. then when he was working with uh, Bob Holmes for Spearhead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same type of character brief that we want. And I see right. a lot of similarity between Liz Shaw and Zoe Harriet. Absolutely. I think they're very similar. And I think that, I mean, the main difference actually is in the kind of physique and acting style of the, of the two, um, of the two women who play the role, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I said, you know, Zoe is, is, is like more kind of boyish and sort of elfin. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, is obviously from the future, which gives her, you know, a, a license to be different in some kind of ways, and gives her an edge trying to explain the techno babble on, yeah, on exactly. screen. Sort of like exactly. she can just go, "Oh yes," and that type of yeah. uh, line. Well, even though Carol and John's portrayal of Liz Shaw, she's a scientist from Cambridge, Oxford, Cambridge, yeah. Cambridge, Cambridge, Cambridge yeah. and she's still forced to take the role of uh, what does this mean, doctor? What is this doctor? The role that Joe does so well is asking yeah. the questions. Yeah. Katie Manning really carried that off. But with Liz Shaw trying to be a doctor, being the scientific advisor for unit, eh, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well, even though she's supposed to be the one with the answers. Well, you know what? I, I, I think it actually works pretty well, in fact. Mm. I actually believe that someone who is extremely intelligent, as we must assume if she's doing something at Cambridge. She's and we, Dr. We assume, Liz Shaw, yeah. We assume, yeah, you know, she's a PhD. You know, she's either, you know, she's either, I mean, I don't, whether she's teaching at Cambridge or whether she's pursuing, like, further studies after <laughs> a PhD. I mean, who knows what her well, exact role well, no, is she, yeah, at the she's, University of Cambridge. Yeah, she has uh, degrees, I think, and two degrees, uh, uh, physics and medicine, and a dozen right. other subjects is what she tells <laughs> the brigadier. But, uh, but it <laughs> seems to me that, you know, someone who is intelligent and mm-hmm. educated um, would realize that, you know, the doctor is someone who may not be more intelligent than I am, but certainly knows more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so asking questions of him is, right. the, intelligent, is it the intelligent thing to mm-hmm. do. And I would have loved to have seen another season with Liz Shaw. And I actually think, I mean, as much as I adore joe grant and the direction that the show took mm-hmm. i think it's a pity that we didn't have another season where 
there's this kind of mighty team of mm -hmm. Liz Shaw and the Doctor solving scientific riddles and scientific crimes on Earth. Um, I mean, I think it was a slightly... It was, I think it was a conservative, and entirely, entirely understandable, a conservative kind of backstep to go back to the kind of, you know, Doctor Who and very, very young kind of questioning companion, um, which they do with, uh, with the introduction of Joe Grant. Now, didn't real life kind of interfere with... Pregnancy, yeah. Pregnancy. Uh, her but husband, the, the, master. Were, the master. The <laughs> master. Jeffrey oh, Beavers. <laughs> evil, insert evil cackle. <laughs> I'm going to make her pregnant. <laughs> She'll never escape from that, having a baby. Right. Uh, um, uh, but, I mean, she, she was on the chopping board anyway, wasn't she? I think that, that was why it was all kind of amicable. She was going to leave right. in any case because she was mm -hmm. having a baby and they wanted her to leave any, anyway because they, they thought, well... They needed we to take show in a different direction. Yeah. yeah, we need someone younger and more pliable. Uh, mm -hmm. in the role so yeah it was kind of mutually mutually agreed mm -hmm. that, that she would leave but I'd, I'd love to I'd love to have seen more Liz Shaw I'd, mm -hmm. I really like Caroline John as an yeah. actress and season seven is very very strong yeah it is strong and that kind of Quatermass vibe mm -hmm. and you know if you think look at other kind of you know sort of doom watch and uh you know Omega is it the Omega factor I can't remember anyway other kind of you know scientific thrillers of the 70s you know had strong intelligent female questioners mm -hmm. working with uh, you know strong male questioners kind of working together and i think it's um uh and i think it could have worked really well if they just persevered with it but i think you know there was a desire to that actually season seven was maybe too adult mm -hmm. or you know the match between the kind of pulp nature of who and the kind of adult nature of the two main characters didn't mm -hmm. really work that well so they wanted to take the whole thing you know fully in a more child-friendly kind of pulpy way would have been interesting in a season eight with Liz Shaw. I wonder if it would go more towards a direction of like the X Files. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I think that's, that's exactly what I would be uh, that I would have been interested to see a kind of Mulder and Scully relationship. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, much as I hate the X Files, um, <laughs> which I do, uh, I think that would have been very interesting to see. Mm -hmm. Aside from the mind of evil, I can't imagine any other of the serials in season eight really featuring. Uh, no, and actually, uh, the mind of evil. Actually, even the mind of evil would be a stretch. Yeah, I mean, the mind of evil is good, in fact, because it does give Joe a more kind of Liz Shawish role to play, and actually, kind of adults her up a bit, mm -hmm. which I think is very helpful for her character. Mm -hmm. uh, as she's kind of, you know, as she's kind of barely introduced at that point. Right. Um, and kind of, you know, yeah, well, maybe maybe she is. She could be some kind of secret agent. Mm -hmm. Or she, maybe she's got the skills to be a secret science spy, which is, I think, what she's <laughs> ostensibly training to be when she gets seconded to unit. Right. Well, I just think <laughs> with the season finale of season eight, The Demons, I just can't imagine <laughs> Liz Shaw Liz doing... <laughs> getting tied up and then like going, oh, no, Doctor, I will... <laughs> I will yeah. kill myself. No, it seems to fit. Seems to well, of course, Sloman and Letts wouldn't have written it that way, anyways. But they it, wouldn't. The, no, companions definitely are not interchangeable. When when they're written well, they are written for that character. Exactly, and that, and that's again what why why the character of Joe shines out so so beautifully because it's mm -hmm. written for for Katie Manning, mm -hmm. and you know I think like all shows of kind of Doctor Who's type the principal actors start to meld into their characters or at least the characters of the the characters on the show become sort of expressions of the characters of the actors themselves mm -hmm. you know and like 
Casey Manning's kind of a self-confessed, or at least was then kind of ditzy blonde who can't see very well. And that's sort of what Joe is. But, you know, underneath that, there is a kind of a strong arc, in, in I think, in Joe of self-determination and kind of learning from the doctor and being more having more kind of agency mm -hmm. and and more confidence in herself from the very get-go of the terror of the auton she yep. follows her own intuition or her own thoughts goes off and, to the factory yep yep and even though she countermands orders or does <laughs> doesn't follow orders she basically will go ahead and do what she thinks is right rather than listen to the brigadier or listen to the doctor she will follow her own leads yeah yeah and she's a very strong character in that mm -hmm. way and i i think you know that the, the her character always gets a i think a bad rap in kind of generalized media about you know just another screaming you know, yeah Doctor who girl like yeah. victoria waterfield yeah, um, she just wasn't that no she wasn't that at all really and her and again her marriage when she leaves you know the yep. traditional way for the the who female assistant to leave is getting married mm -hmm. to someone. She basically she marries the doctor <laughs> and uh, goes off with on adventures. Jones, yep. <laughs> yeah, with um, with Doctor Jones, you know. Mm -hmm. Which uh, I don't know why there hasn't been fanfic. Well, there probably has been fanfiction, which is you know, <laughs> Joe and Doctor Jones in the Amazon. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's pure Indiana Jones um, <laughs> territory there. You know, and again, this kind of wonderful understated mm -hmm. romance between the Doctor and Joe again is kind of very subtly portrayed by the two actors and you know it's kind of brought out in reality by you know in reality biz porter you know is, is made kind of real in the show by her marrying a, a a doctor surrogate who even looks to my mind a bit like christopher eccleston in um, <laughs> potentially yeah, yeah the angular face um my kind of personal retcon in fan fiction is she's he is actually the ninth doctor um and he's kind of in deep deep disguise yeah anyway whatever <laughs> maybe not <laughs> well weird <laughs> weird <laughs> uh, Sarah Jane Smith, Liz Sladen. Yep. So then we we this is I mean I think Sarah Jane Smith and Elizabeth Sladen. I she's the the kind of you know the the standard by which all companions are measured. Correct. And it's certainly in the in the kind of popular imagination. Certainly of the classic era, but I think for. Just through longevity, I think there's a lot of lot of people who really relate to or really like Amy and equally with Clara. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think it's, to me, I mean, it's, that's longevity rather than in the consistency or attractiveness of the performance or the mm -hmm. emotional depth of the, of the performance, mm -hmm. to my mind. I mean, I think, you know, if just keeping someone on for a long time doesn't make them a good companion. It just means that, like, they've stuck around for a long time, in my opinion, with mm -hmm. Clara, who yeah. I don't really like that much mm -hmm. at all. Just way too inconsistent. Yeah. The big knock against Sarah Jane Smith is she has a pretty good, strong season 11, her first season with the Doctor. And then she, once she gets hooked up with Tom Baker's The Fourth Doctor, she's no longer that journalist that feminist she becomes more of a caricature and she's no longer the same sarah jane that we see like in the time warrior or an in invasion of the dinosaurs or monster right. of peladon of those five stories in season 11 she's working as a reporter or as a strong uh, feminist woman in four of the five of them a reporter for metropolitan magazine yeah exactly yeah. only in death of the daleks do we see 
where Sarah is going in the future. A more kind of playful, playful side. And I think, again, I mean, I, as I said, I mean, I think so much of this relies on writers mm-hmm. and so much of this relies on showrunners and so much of this relies on, you know, the relationships between actors. And I think, you know, obviously the relationship between Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen was so different than the, the more kind of professional relationship. Not that I'm saying that, you know, that Slade and, and Baker had an unprofessional relationship, but they had a lot more of a kind of a personal connection than I think, you know, John Pertwee, he was obviously feeling his way out right. um, in that season, whereas Liz was feeling her way in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, it was possible to have a more distanced relationship so that mm-hmm. the character was able to be more, the character is written. But I think it's just the sense of fun of the of the Sladen Baker Doctor Sarah Jane relationship which takes me back to what I was saying about Zoe and Jamie and the Doctor. You get you know, okay, traveling with a Doctor is stressful and horrible. I mean, you know, just look at Genesis of the Daleks, which is like a horror show from from start to finish. Um, mm-hmm. But you you do get the impression that these people, you know, that it, it is it's fun and it's in, you know that there's an element of of excitement in this that you are feeling as the audience that actually the characters themselves feel as they get themselves into these situations Mm -hmm. so can you see any similarities between like sarah jane smith and like barbara wright or polly or some of the earlier companions or is she is, is she is she a new paradigm is she something is she something different or is she a, another refinement of the female traveling companion or assistant of the doctor? I, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me because, I mean, Sarah was very much the first companion that I kind of you know, knew about right. watching, watching the show. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was, it's that season that she's introduced where I really kind of noticed that, that, that this, is just, uh, this is the show that I was watching. Mm-hmm. Um, though, I, I, well, I guess Joe as well. But I mean, Joe was on her way out in that season. Right. So it's kind of hard for me, you know, emotionally to kind of distance Sarah Jane and the Doctor from, you know, games, playing games that I would play with my sister, you know, hmm. um, yeah. where I was the Doctor and my sister was Sarah Jane and we were equal and we were out right. there fighting monsters. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, there is a sense of equality, you know, that the, the, the Doctor brings one aspect to the fight and Sarah brings another aspect to the fight and the Doctor mm-hmm. brings a, you know, a kind of otherworldly alien masculine um, uh, kind of, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to describe this without sounding, sounding super sexist, but, you know, kind of a masculine aspects to the battle. And Sarah brings feminine aspects to the battle. I mean, I always think about the pyramids of Mars, right. where, you know, the doctor talks about walking in eternity and being all super serious and stuff. And like Sarah's in the background kind of making silly faces um, as he is really serious to the camera. Right. Yet when it comes down to it, um, when they really are battling, like kind of ultimate evil from you know the beginning of the universe or whatever Sutek is, the Doctor dresses up as a mummy and goes straight into the battle at the same time that that Sarah is you know she's covering with wearing a, rifle. a Victorian <laughs> dress, but she's she knows she's suited and booted and carrying a rifle, you know, and ready to blow stuff up. Um, right. And again, exactly in the in the conclusion of that of that particular serial. They are at the kind of heart of darkness, you know, they're on literally, they're in the pyramids of Mars, um, but they're kind of goofing about as well. Hmm. Um, So I don't know, it's, 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 it's so hard, I think, to, to actually, that, that kind of lovable relationship that, that those two characters have kind of transcends 
the fact that they're characters. And actually, in some ways, to me, Sarah Jane becomes like a Doctor character, whereas the Doctor really doesn't have a character, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Jane doesn't really have a kind of character arc. She's just Sarah Jane, the companion. Mm-hmm. And when I say just, I'm, I, I don't mean kind of only, but you know, that is her, her character is, I am the companion of the Doctor, and this is what the companion of the Doctor is like. See, I think she does have a character arc, and I think it's more of a realization or a perspective-taking character development rather than a, a development such as like what Joe had where she, you know, a novice and then going off, getting married. Right. And with, with Sarah, I think she starts out as someone who has... She thinks she knows the, the score. She knows where things are at, what, how things are going. And by the time that she leaves the series... I think it sets her up for like the character that Russell T. Davies introduces in the Sarah Jane Adventures of someone who's more open, someone who's not willing to take things at face value and maybe, maybe things aren't all that it seems like. And maybe she, you know, she's less, less self-assured, less confident in some ways, but more wise. She has more perspective. She has more, more depth and, Instead of being uh, super sure of herself, she's more receptive to maybe maybe something else is going on behind the scenes. I need to get to the bottom of this. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you touched upon earlier with the chemistry between the the doctor and the companion is where we see the strongest strongest pairing. So with William Hartnell, I think we have really strong chemistry between him and Jacqueline Hill. Right. And so we have really good chemistry between the first doctor and Barbara. And the same with Maureen O'Brien and Hartnell. So Vicky and Hartnell get along well. Yep. Other companions that follow along, I don't think work as well for Hartnell. Yeah, I think you're right. And And then with Troughton, I think Troughton is such a charismatic actor that he works with all his cast. I think all all companions. So we look at um, Michael Crazen, Ben Jackson, Annika Wills, and Polly, Fraser Hine, and Jamie, and then Victoria with uh, Deborah Watling and uh, Wendy Padbury with Zoe. Troughton is such an actor's actor, such a personable, likable person, and it exudes out into his character with the doctor and the relationship with the companion. So yeah. I think all the relationship, all the all the interactions that Troughton had with his companions are a lot lot more uh, touchy-feely. And we get the same sort of pairing with, uh, I think, with, the, with Pertwee and Katie Manning. Yep. And to a lesser extent, I think with Carolyn John and Liz Sladen with Pertwee, I don't think there's quite the chemistry. I think There isn't. And we see then with Tom Baker coming on in the chemistry with Liz Sladen. So yeah. it really, really, it's the really, it's the, it's that casting dynamic. Can you have a good match between your leads that can provide that chemistry that the writers then can use or write to, or that the actors can bring out from the script that makes a really good companion pairing? You're right. I mean, that's how it works. That's always mm-hmm. how it works. 
um, and you can't really write in that chemistry. You, you know, the the it, you, I mean, I think you know the 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 strong example in in New Who is is um, David Tennant and Catherine Tate. Yes, um, yep. who obviously have very very strong chemistry together. You know, mm-hmm. not you know nothing to do with any anything to do with a relationship, but just as actors, they really right. really like working mm-hmm. with each other, and they're really good friends, and right. they will do stuff together simply because they like hanging out together. Right. And you know, as much as I think anyone liked hanging out with Tom Baker, because I think he's <laughs> kind of an odd man, um, I think it's obvious that you know that those two individuals at that that time in their lives really mm-hmm. enjoyed each other's company right you know just as a <laughs> as a sidebar that would be a really good i think a really interesting uh mini series a, a four-part mini series of tom baker and the colony club <laughs> oh why someone hasn't done that <laughs> you know we had the adventure in space and time we need to have the tom baker colony club <laughs> adventures i mean there are so many of those kind of you know docudramas about mm-hmm. uh, uh you know acting of more common wise and i've just watched that one about um <laughs> peter sellers you know with jeffrey rush etc 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 um but yeah that would be just astounding and it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be that expensive because all you have to do is have a room a set, um, yep with a bunch of actors in it mm-hmm. like being drunk all the time yeah <laughs> yeah someone should totally write that i don't know why has, has well someone probably hasn't written that yet. probably in 20 or 30 years for the 50th anniversary of yeah Robot. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> or actually it, it probably adventures. it probably would be more interesting to capture uh 1980 so the, the year he marries lala ward and then leaves the show probably would be a more interesting time yeah to yeah yeah exactly exactly because so. you know you have all these other amazing characters like francis bacon and yes. francis bacon's hangers mm-hmm. on and jeffrey mm-hmm. bernard and you know the whole kind of you know mm-hmm beginning of celebrity culture it's yeah exactly it, it, yeah. it would be great mm-hmm. someone should do that do that someone <laughs> get on that <laughs> get on it right now we demand that to, that to have happen so i think we've gone for a while i think this would be a good spot to leave it to leave it and we'll do the uh, i guess i don't know we could do the do yeah, the rest do, yeah let's continue on with the at least with the uh, um, pick up with Sarah Jane and uh, yep. Liz Sladen again with Tom Baker and then continue on at least through to the end of the classic series. Yeah, maybe uh, to any how we're going, we could we could quickly touch on um, the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's it's kind of... The one-off. She's, she's a bit of a companion, isn't she? I don't know. Maybe not. Well, we'll find out next week. <laughs> Tune in next week and you will find out, dear listener. Uh, all right, so I'll wrap it up. Okay. Thank you for listening to episode 35 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. I've been David. And I have been Ben. And we'll uh, see you same time next week. Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, as a number two, at gmail.com or on Twitter at metabilis2. And again, that's a number two. Hope to hear from you. Bye.